The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to take a moment and share a word from our sponsor. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is happy to be the proud sponsor of the Premier Dance Network. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is known for its fine total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer with the New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premier. It takes a dancer who wears a leotard all day to know what is best in a leotard. So Tyler's beautiful original leotard designs fit perfectly, are ideal for class, rehearsal, or performance, and move well with the body won't ride up in the back. Body Wrappers makes additional apparel for all types of dance that includes ballet, jazz, modern, lyrical, hip-hop, tap, team, liturgical, performance wear for competition and recital, as well as Angela Luzio shoes. You may view all the products at www.bodywrappers.com or to purchase Tyler Peck designs by Body Wrappers, go to dancewearcorner.com or your favorite online dance apparel retailer for all their products. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pa to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 16 plus years of experience with you. Whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello, 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 and welcome to Pada Chat. Um, I have been very cold lately, so I feel like getting in the dance studio has been a really good thing for me. Um, I actually was just up in Boston this past week with some of my kids from Greenwich Ballet Academy, and I was up there to coach them at the Youth America Grand Prix, um, and it went very well. We had actually uh, four of our five kids placed in the top 12 in classical, one did the top 12 in contemporary, and then two of our kids won second place in their categories for ballet, so it was very exciting for us, um, and the weather up there was really weird on, I was like, normal, and then on Friday, it was like 60 degrees, and then by Saturday, it felt like it was like five degrees. So, um, <laughs> like I said, I've been cold a lot. Now that we're back in New York, it's supposed to snow. I'm, I'm recording this early this week because of a lot going on, um, between not getting to do much with the competition last week. I'm prepping for a launch, the launch of my company, which I'll talk about more at some point. Um, and then just teaching and, uh, meeting with tons of people for lots of things. So I got some exciting things coming up that I can't talk about quite yet, but you'll hear about them. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's supposed to snow tomorrow, which is Tuesday. Um, and yeah, I just want to be like in the warmth. I don't want to be outside anymore. I'm ready for like tank tops and shorts, but <sighs> still got some time before we get there. Anyway, so other than that, my uh, my schedule, let's talk about my schedule. So um, Broadway Dance Center, I have all my regular classes this Saturday, so this is going to be tomorrow if you're listening to this podcast. I have an intermediate contemporary class, I believe at noon, um, For they're doing like double days 
on on throughout the weekend because of President's Day, the President's Day holiday. So um, on Saturday, I'll be teaching a contemporary, intermediate contemporary class at Broadway Dance Center around noon, I think. And at 4.30 p.m., I will be teaching a beginner ballet class. So if you want an extra classes with me beyond my regular every level ballet class during the week at Broadway Dance Center, uh, you can come and take class with me there. Also, if you are brand new to ballet or if you... Uh, it's been a while since you've taken a ballet class and you want to go back to the beginning. Um, I am teaching an absolute beginner workshop at Broadway Dance Center uh, starting the first week of March and running for eight weeks. It's a, a workshop that caps at 25 people, so it's very limited uh, there's very limited space and you have to be 18 or over in order to do it. So it's very specifically made for adults. Uh, so yeah, if you want to start just talking what the positions are and then building your bar and then getting to center work and then also learning a bit about what it, it's like to be a ballet dancer and what the ballet world is all about, you can sign up for that either by going to broadwaydancecenter.com or giving them a call or if you are local to New York, uh, going to the front desk at Broadway Dance Center and uh, registering there. So hopefully I'll meet a couple of you guys in that. Um, and as you know, I love meeting all of my listeners. So uh, it's actually been a, it's been a few weeks since I've talked to anybody. I guess it's probably because I was in Thailand. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's been, I guess, since December, since I've had a listener uh, in class that I, I don't already know. So I would love to meet you. Come by, say hello. All right. Hello. <laughs> All right. I was meeting with an old friend this past week uh, to discuss business. And, and as we caught up before getting down to the nitty gritty, the subject of alcohol came up. Um, alcohol in the arts is a touchy topic that very few dancers, organizations or publications talk about. Um, honestly, like I can't really remember any major articles or conversations about alcohol and dance. Uh, I don't know why. Perhaps it is still taboo. Perhaps it is a symptom of the poor mental health support we have for dancers and nobody wants to talk about it. Or perhaps it's because alcohol is a substance of celebration uh, and of coping and nobody wants to put it in a box. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's because publications are afraid that if they post about alcohol and some of the issues in the dance world that it will deter parents from putting their kids into ballet um, because they're going to think that all their kids are going to grow up to be alcoholics. Um, (laughs) And that's not the case, obviously, but I think that often publications, their job is more to, uh, and I, I agree with this, to promote dance in a positive light and then to be critical a little bit here and there. Um, But generally, like we are under funded art form and some we don't get, have the same visibility as sports do so if you're going to put negative things in a publication they're going to drive people away from it like what good are you doing for the dance world so maybe that's the reason that alcohol hasn't really been brought up too much but uh i mean they're willing the the the, the press is willing to talk about Chase Finley and all the issues that happened at New York City Ballet and with Sergey Polonin and how he has sort of gone off the deep end. Um, and by sort of, I mean like completely gone off the deep end with his Instagram post and the Putin tattoo on his chest and uh, talking about male men, male dancers being lions and not being feminine and things like that. And let's not talk about how the female lions are actually the ones that protect <laughs> they're young but anyway i'm getting sidetracked um 
I am here today and I want to talk about alcohol and artists. So yeah, you know, this is what I do. I talk about things that other people aren't willing to talk about. (laughs) And then people start talking about them and I get no credit. Um, (laughs) All right, I need to tone it down a little bit. This is what happens when you record a a podcast like after you've taught for like seven hours and commuted for three. But, you know, you find time when you find time. All right. The first time that alcohol and dance were brought to my attention uh, or alcohol and dance being related, the first time that 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 connection was brought to my attention was in a one-off lecture that was given to us as students at the Kirov Academy of Ballet in Washington, D.C. I was about 17 years old. And our, I think he was our technical director. He did many things. He did our lighting design. He did like the music during shows. He was our dance archivist um, and other stuff. So he was kind of like a man of, uh, who wore many hats. Uh, but he ran his own, uh, meeting for the entire school. And it seemed a bit odd to start because I guess I thought that we were just going to get like a short talk about the technical side of being involved in dance. Like if we wanted to, I don't know, be a company, not a company manager, be a production manager or anything like that. Um, but when he sat down, it ended up being a completely different conversation. Uh, I, I, re- I remember very specifically the moment he sat down, he started talking and he said, I am an addict and a recovering alcoholic. And he went on to tell us how he no longer wanted to drink, but he was still addicted to cigarettes, even though he had quit. And he backtracked and told us pretty much the progression of how he got involved in alcohol, why he was involved in alcohol, how he got involved with smoking, why he was involved, how he, how he quit, um, and how he no longer wanted a drink, um, but he always wanted a cigarette, even though he hadn't done either for many years. Um, but yeah, he told us how alcohol was often used as a way to celebrate. He, he used to be a, the production manager for Wolf Trap. I think he was production manager. Again, I don't know why. I can't remember exactly what he did, um, but I don't want to name him. He has since passed, uh, and I would like to honor because that maybe he wasn't public about this. He only shared it with the school. Um, but anyway, so he was involved in Wolf Trap, uh, which is a, a famous outdoor theater uh, in, I think it's Virginia. Um, so he, he said that there was always a reason to celebrate after a show, and there was always a show. So there was kind of a fine, invisible line between celebrating and alcoholism. And he, he said he never felt that it was a major problem at the time that he was in that job drinking and celebrating and enjoying, uh, his, his and his colleagues accomplishments. But he, uh, and he said, he said it it wasn't really a major problem because he was still able to function from day to day. But as a functional alcoholic, drinks were a part of his everyday life until his mid forties when he chose to quit cold Turkey. He didn't give like a very specific reason. It wasn't, he didn't say that his life was falling apart. Um, or if there was any major issues, but, uh, I, I'm assuming that it just started to feel like it was getting out of control or he just had a realization that he didn't want to be drinking so frequently. I didn't think much of this at the meeting. I was a kind of a unique child, um, for many reasons, but we don't need to get into all those, but I was straight edge at the time. So it's funny because a lot of kids will rebel 
by drinking or smoking or cursing, but being straight edge was actually my form of rebellion. My my deadbeat dad was an alcoholic waiting for a liver transplant at this time. I didn't smoke because I was asthmatic and I didn't curse because of the emotional abuse that I endured from my stepfather during my childhood. Um, so I had kind of cut myself off from certain parts of my life and I mean some of it for the better and some of it probably just because I thought that I was being perfect and good and better than the things that surrounded me in my childhood that made that upset me um so yeah when when we had this meeting I was convinced that this wasn't going to be an issue for me I was like staunch in my my straight edgeness I don't even know if that's a thing but now it is um, but yeah, so I, I listened and I thought and I said, good to know, but this meeting's not for me. It's probably for everybody else around me. Um, well, a lot happens throughout one's life and alcohol made its way in and I've used it for celebration, for comfort, for coping, for socializing, for sex and beyond. And it's time that I step up and talk about alcohol and yes, as was stated in recent news, the sometimes alcoholic culture of life as a dancer so let's dig in. Uh, one of the major reasons that I feel that dancers tend to drink alcohol is to cope with stress. Um, I was talking to somebody recently, and I've talked about this a lot, how it's really interesting because it seems almost like dancers as kids have to mature really, really fast. You pretty much have like 15-year-olds acting like 20-something-year-olds. Um, but it's interesting because once you start to feel like you're on track to make it. Um, or if like finishing school is really where alcohol starts to tend to leak into, into the culture. So, um, coping with stress is really one of the main places that alcohol is a part of dancers lives. Um, I remember first seeing this when I went to Houston ballet summer program and one of my partners had invited me to go to a party and I asked like exactly what was going to happen. She's like, well, there will be beer and drinks and people will just be hanging out. It's fun. And I was like, thanks. I really appreciate it. But you know, I'm straight edge. I don't drink. I'd rather not be around that stuff. Um, so that was the first time that I had heard of it, but I didn't really see it until I actually moved to Houston. Uh, what was it? One two, two years later, I guess. Um, one, two, yeah, I guess it was about two years later. So I, at the summer program, I was like 17 years old and I joined Houston Ballet Academy. Sorry, not Academy. I joined Houston Ballet when I was 19 years old. Um, so the first time that I actually was around it was when I was an apprentice with Houston Ballet and I was hanging out with the school kids who were my age because I was 19 years old. Um, I, as I said, I was straight edge and I was always the designated driver for four months, <laughs> but so I was a designated driver and I was lucky that one of my very close friends, uh, he was a fellow apprentice. He respected that and he never pushed me. And he said, no matter what, if I got uncomfortable that we could go, um, he wouldn't force me to stay at a party and he would never try to force me to drink or anything like that. And he was so respectful of all that. And we're still good friends to stay. And I'm so appreciative for, for him uh, to him for not ever making me feel like I had to do anything. But yeah, so for four months, I, I didn't want to be like ostracized socially. So I went to these parties and I saw like the craziest things. I remember at one point seeing uh, t a, a girl go up to another girl and say, let's do shots. And 
the one was like slurring. She's like, I'm too drunk to do shots. And she was like, no, you're not. You seem completely fine. And she was like, I do. And she was like, yeah, you seem fine. And they like both went and she's like, okay. And so they both went and had shots. I remember being like, this is crazy. Like clearly she shouldn't be having more shots. But I mean, I was trying not to be judgmental, even though I was being judgmental. Um, but yeah, so then there were a couple people that I really looked up to that would go to these parties or that I was really close friends with. And uh, they would be like, when are you going to drink? And I'd be like, I'm not, I don't drink. I'm never going to. And then slowly over time, I'd be like, well, maybe one day I will, but not anytime soon. And then finally the day happened and I started drinking. Uh, curiosity and peer pressure got in the way. Um, but also I, I think the stress of having just moved into my own apartment and, and like moving my life across the country, having my own place, dancing with a major ballet company, um, being unsure if I was going to be promoted uh, because you could only be an apprentice in Houston Ballet as per the union. Uh, you can only be an apprentice for one year and you either had to be promoted or fired. Um, so all of those stressors for a 19-year-old like learning how to function in a major ballet company when I had only been in schools um, with teachers guiding me along the way, it, it was really, really stressful. And honestly, like even though the peer pressure was there and wanting to like fit in socially was there, I think just coping with the stress of all those things really like got me into drinking. Um, when I finally gave in, it became practically a weekly weekend ritual Um pretty much once every weekend towards the end of the week, people would start to talk and they'd say, okay, who's going to have a party at their apartment this week or at their house this week. So we would, we would seek out whomever was willing to host a party at their apartment. Um, and we were all underage and we all found a way to head on over there and get sufficiently tipsy or drunk so that we could just relax I think that that was the issue. Bunch of neurotic, uptight dancers who have left home early, like as children, and had to become adults very, very, very young without any emotional uh, support from any of the organizations that we we were with. I mean, it makes sense that we would look for an outlet for a stress. It didn't seem like a major issue because nearly everybody was doing it. It was like absolutely socially acceptable. The people in in charge they didn't know when it was happening they didn't want to know what, what was happening but they knew it was happening um and we only did it once per weekend and then we were, it was either friday and we were covered on saturday and sunday or it was on saturday and we had sunday to cover so <clears throat> we were all prepared for a hard week of work to come and we were all functioning perfectly fine so that lasted about a year. And then once I moved to Pacific Northwest Ballet, this progressed. Sometimes uh, the people that I would hang out with, we would have two parties in a weekend. Um, and I remember the first time I'd be like, well, I'm only going to go to one. And they were like, well, it's gala night on, on Friday. And then Saturday, we're having a house party. So you need to get used to what it, it's like to drink uh, more than one night in a row. Because I was so concerned about the alcoholism that run that runs in my family that I was like, I have to have extreme limits, kind of like how I was with my straight edginess. Um, and I'm still like this today. Um, even though I don't always succeed at it, I try to do it and it stresses me out and sometimes it makes things worse, but that's another podcast. But yeah, so 
that was uh, when I was still under 21. Um, it was interesting because the culture under 21 was very different than the culture after 21 because under 21, people still drank. They still got together, but you just couldn't really go out to bars. Um, but once I turned 21, then you could go out to bars. Um, but yeah, other stressors that we had to cope with as I aged and continued my career was performance stress, um, the fear of injury. I remember uh, every time I got a really good role, I would think all the time, I can't get injured, I can't get injured, I can't get injured. And I would be convinced that I was going to get injured all the way until after I was done performing. Like I wouldn't put a role on my resume until it had actually happened because I'd never trusted that anything was ever gonna happen until it actually happened. Um, Other stressors include disappointments in the studio, whether it be a bad run through, whether it be casting, whether it be not getting promoted, whether it be issues with a partner. Um, I mean, then beyond that, after I left Pacific Northwest Ballet, other stressors that I had to deal with were freelancing, whether I was going to have work or I wasn't going to be able to find work, whether I could pay my bills, um, traveling nonstop. I, I was on the road for four years. The longest I was home was seven weeks. And during those periods of time that I was away, I was constantly out of my comfort zone, sometimes living in other people's houses, um, coping with the fear of stress and failure. Um, and for me, the, the coping with stress drinking, the final straw for me was in Oakland before I stopped freelancing. And if, if you haven't heard the story of how I, I pretty much finished my performance career and my freelancing career and burnt out and got, had my career ending injury, you should listen to that podcast which is a handful of podcasts ago. You'll have to go digging for it. But um, by the time I got to Oakland and I didn't want to be freelancing anymore and my housing had fallen through and I was practically homeless living from couch to couch to couch, lucky to not be on the street. um, I was drinking every single night at that point just because I was coping with the stress of rehearsing all day, not knowing where I was going to sleep at night, being in uncomfortable situations, having to sleep on a couch, like being sore and carrying my luggage, my heavy, heavy, like three bags of luggage on the the BART and the buses and going from place to place and seeing my bank account dwindle and not knowing, not, not knowing why I was continuing to do what I was doing aside from the fact that I had no other choice. Um, and I drank every single night when I was in Oakland because I couldn't cope with the stress of what I was going through. So I think that coping with stress is a real major reason that people turn to alcohol in dance. Um, but as I stated earlier, when I was telling you the opening, uh, the opening story about the, the production manager at uh, the Kirov Academy of Ballet in DC, um, celebration is another big reason that alcohol is a part of, of uh, dance culture. In most people's lives, people grow, uh, they throw parties to celebrate. If somebody gets promoted, they celebrate. If somebody gets married or some type of life event has occurred, there is reason to celebrate. If there's a holiday, there's reason to celebrate. Um, Most people were a part of at least one production as a kid, whether it was dance, theater, school concert, a sports team anything along those lines. And typically when you finish those events, a lot of times there would be a cast party afterwards or get together to sort of like celebrate the team winning. Um, So those are reasons to celebrate. But as you get older, um, 
usually alcohol's involved. So if you're going to go to like a, a Christmas party, there's going to be drinks, things like that. But yeah, so once you get older, alcohol becomes involved. So, okay. Keeping all those things in mind, now imagine that you perform over 100 shows a year. Yeah, I think at PNB we did at least 120 per year, and that was if we didn't go on tour. So, okay, you celebrate, sorry, you perform over 100 shows per year. Surely you can't celebrate every single time, but there is a lot more to celebrate and dance than there is in most people's normal lives. Celebrating the start and end of a season, celebrating opening night of a program, celebrating the successful end of a program, celebrating a dancer's retirement or a dancer's promotion, celebrating a dancer's anniversary. There are just so many opportunities to celebrate and dance. And like I said, what do adults often do when they celebrate? They do with drinks. So it's no wonder that the arts can sometimes feel alcohol centric. Um, I'm reading a book by Michael Kaiser called the the cycle it's it's really great uh my one of my friends she's an arts consultant and a business lady she's been on my butt to get me going on my company and she suggested that i read this book and it's been really fascinating because it talks a lot about like market institutional marketing and building a board and uh pretty much creating a cycle of uh, different processes that help keep companies running. Um, and it's, it's covered pretty substantially about how important it is to make a, a big to-do out of the successes of a company and how creating events around that will help get people excited and it'll, it'll help inspire people to donate. Um, and that just kind of sums up the whole idea of how celebration is an integral part. It is tied into not just um, not just an arts organization's culture. It is a part of the survival of arts organizations. So um, celebration is a major reason that dancers drink, and there are lots of reasons to celebrate. Some dancers might celebrate that they had a, a, a leading role in a show, um, and if you do 12 shows and five dancers have different leading roles and they want to celebrate and you're maybe friends with really good friends with two of them, that's two reasons to celebrate. And then at the end of the program, it was 12 shows. There's another reason to celebrate. If it was opening night of a season, that's another. So you, in, in a matter of two weeks, you could have four different reasons to celebrate. Um, and usually those involve drinks. So I, I hope that my point has been made in that, that area. Um, what else? This one's actually one that isn't really talked about very much. Um, and this is something that I actually started to recognize because I would come home after a show and even if it was there wasn't like a celebratory dinner um, or anything like that, trying to unwind after performance just so I could sleep. Um, drinking really helps with that because imagine this. So most people work from 9 to 5 or 8 to 5 or 9 to 6 or 10 to 6, whatever. Um and then they go and they eat dinner and when they're done and then they have a couple hours before they go to sleep or maybe they go see a show. Um, but for dancers, you are performing from 7.30 until 10.30 at night, sometimes 8 until 11 o'clock at night. Imagine that at 8 o'clock, I throw you on a treadmill. And sometimes it goes slow, sometimes it goes fast. But I throw you on a treadmill 
and you get a 15 minute break every 45 minutes. So you go 45 minutes on, 15 minutes off, 45 minutes on, 15 minutes off, 45 minutes on. So you just spent nearly three hours working out. Let's let's be nice. We'll say it was a 7.30 step on that treadmill. Um, it's now about 10.15, 10.30. And I say, okay, we'll go home and eat a quick dinner and run up to bed and go to sleep. Uh, no, it doesn't work that way. So dancers are exerting themselves extremely physically. And then beyond that, there's also like the anxiety and stress of performance. And so you get endorphin rushes from, from working out. And then you get this release of adrenaline because you're in front of a lot of people doing these crazy feats. And then the show's over and you're hungry because you've exerted a lot of energy and lost a lot of calories or burnt a lot of calories. So you need to eat. And even though it's 10 30, 11 o'clock at night, if you got to go home right away or you went out to a restaurant right after the show, you go home and you eat and it's now like 11, 11 30 and you're supposed to go to sleep, but you still have all of these chemicals running through your body. I mean, I, I didn't realize this until I retired but I had horrible, horrible insomnia when I was a dancer. I would lay in bed for hours trying to fall asleep. And I didn't realize that the reason that I was laying in bed and staring at the ceiling wasn't because I was an insomniac. It was because I had endorphins running in throughout my body and adrenaline that wasn't dissipating. And so what I would do is if I, if I had a couple glasses of wine before I went to sleep, I could lay down and I could just fall asleep. Granted, I might be, de- I might get more dehydrated or I might feel like a little headachey in the morning or more tired in the morning, but at least I could fall asleep and get a sufficient amount of sleep where if I didn't do that on some nights, I would go to bed at four o'clock in the morning and have to get up at like 9am and then perform again the next day. So it makes sense that dancers tend to, to lean on substances to unwind after a performance. It, it actually allows them to go to sleep because there are chemicals in their body that are keeping them awake. Beyond that, um, alcohol is often used as a crutch for socialization, uh, whether it's work-related or not work-related for dancers. Uh, So when it's work-related, it's usually for events. When I was at Pacific Northwest Ballet, I was the dancer liaison for Backstage Pass, which was a a young uh, patrons group from 21 to 39-year-olds um, we were helping to introduce and help non-dancers fall in love with the ballet. Um, other socialization for work would be galas. Oh, sorry, for Backstage Pass, we would throw events all the time that I was always going to. Um, but beyond that, there were galas. If there were visitors, visiting choreographers or stagers, you might end up going out to uh, have dinner or drinks with them. Uh, most of these events happen either at bars um, at restaurants with drinks or uh, backstage with drinks. Um, and the reason for this is because it's much easier to relax and talk to people when you have a cocktail in your hand. And then also a lot of these groups, you're, you're kind of like trying to cultivate them to be donors and people are a lot more likely to uh, be interested in connecting and also be interested in talking about uncomfortable things like money if they have a drink or two in them. Um, so if there was socialization for work, there was almost always alcohol involved. Um, and it is kind of also the idea that going to the ballet for a lot of people, it was like their entertainment and their relaxation. So um, if you think of entertainment venues like concerts and uh, 
sports arenas and theaters and different things like that. Most of them have alcohol and people drink there. Um, so that's, that's where alcohol plays into socialization, socialization for work. I found that a lot of dancers used alcohol to, uh, help them socialize with people outside of the, outside of the theater as well. Um, I've talked about the ballet bubble in past podcasts and how, um, when you work for a company or in a school, like you are in an, uh, an environment with a bunch of people working really hard. And what happens is your hard work bounces off somebody else and they see you working hard. So they work harder. And then everybody sees how well the dancers are doing. So they work hard because they want it. They're inspired by the dancers. It's kind of like this small bubble of like hard work. Um, but a lot of us, don't get out of that bubble very, very often. Um, or for younger dancers, um, I remember skipping every school event and not hanging out with any of my school friends, only hang out with my dance friends. So a lot of dancers become socially awkward <laughs> outside of the ballet bubble because, or the dance bubbles that they're in, not to just specify ballet dancers, but they get stuck in their, their, their artistic bubbles. And when they try to go out and interact with other people, it can, you can sometimes feel like an alien, whether it's, you don't know how to enter a conversation with content that doesn't relate to what you talk about every day in dance. Um, or for many, because dances are often considered like live culture and people are fascinated by them. So when you're around dance people, people that love dance, they may throw all of their focus on you and your life and your value and your importance in your career. And when people aren't necessarily talking about you and something that you have devoted your entire being to as a child and an, and an adult, um, it can be really <laughs> awkward and stressful. And people tend to lean on alcohol as a crutch so that they can open up a bit more and not seem like such a foreign alien in the real world. All right. Well, how far along are we? Okay. We're about a half hour in. I'm getting close to the end people. So, um, just like one or two more things. Uh, where am I? Okay. So coping with the end of career and unfulfilled parts of a career. So, um, when I stopped freelancing, so after that Oakland period where things just were getting out of hand in every single part of my life, um, I took time off from dancing and I started choreographing more and I went up to Alaska and directed. And then when I came home, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to get back on this like this train of my, my dance career. And I wasn't really sure if I was going to be able to come back. I was still dealing with back pain. Um, so I drank to cope with the end of my career and the unfulfilled parts of my career. I remember as I tried to come to terms with the fact that I was too burnt out and injured to continue having a fulfilling career, I often found myself in the evenings drinking more than I probably should have to cope with things uh, relating to my dance career. I, I remember I was considering auditioning for City Think You Can Dance and I was like the last year you could possibly do it. And I didn't want to be known as like the old guy. But when I was young, I was really interested in all the free something so you think you can dance. But I was tied to, to a contract and now I wasn't. So I remember like watching so you think you can dance and drinking and like dreaming about like if I was going to audition or not. And then like having long conversations with my husband about it. Um, if I was going to go to see a show, a ballet performance, especially if there were ballets that I had performed previously, it was a lot easier to go and enjoy it if I had a couple drinks in my system. Um, 
there was an awful, awful night uh, that I was so excited to see uh, on PBS. They were doing a live at Lincoln Center um, with the School of American Ballet, my alma mater. Uh, they were performing Serenade and they were performing a couple of other pieces. And I was so excited to see it, but I was just not in a good place emotionally. And I started watching it. And as I started watching it, I got a drink and I just like went into a very, very like morose dark place where I became like super negative and bitter and angry. Um, so yeah, I, this is goes because back to coping with stress from the very beginning. I was an adult at that time and I could have sought out counseling instead of just having a, a couple drinks to relax at night here and there and then more often and then back to here and there and then more often. Um, but because of like the culture that I was brought up in where dancers are not looked at as people deserving mental health. I remember there was a time when I first started to uh, train real intensively. And those teachers used to say, well, they didn't really do much about physical therapy and taking care of your body. But now they're having people do Pilates. And there's a lot more research on like, how to keep your body well maintained throughout your career. Um, but there's never talk about mental health. And it seems like in the past, like, I've been talking about this for years, but it seems like in the past year or so, maybe two years, um, there's been a lot more talk about the mental health uh, aspect of dancing as well. Um, and I would love to just continue to inspire people to find support for young dancers. I was I moved away from home at 17 to train an intense program and I trained for another year at 18. By 19, I paid on my credit card to get, like I used my credit card to get a flight to Houston to put a down payment in an apartment to buy a futon so I had a place to sit and sleep at the same time. Um, I bought like a little TV and I paid for like my first month's bills on my credit card. And then I jumped into my career while this was happening. Um, and I was thrown into one of the top ballet companies in the country with a mix of dancers from like 16 years old all the way up to their 40s. Um, it's not normal. And the fact that we aren't providing mental health, uh, mental health, whether it be counseling or uh, support in any way. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's crazy to me that it's not being provided for dancers and I, I, it needs to, to be a change in the dance world. Um, so yeah, I, since I, since I've moved through those stages, I feel like I've gotten a better grasp on my, my intake of alcohol. And when I, uh, when, like I said, it feels more under control than it was during certain parts of my career. Um, and, and here and there, like I'll go out and celebrate more often than I, I plan to, or if I'm stressed and I'm somewhere, I might be like, well, I'll just go have a couple of beers. Um, I think that's common for all types of people, but I think that, uh, for dancers, it's, it's more common. And I, it's really interesting because we're like high level athletes that have to do these crazy jobs. And we, we know that we know we have to know our limits and like how to be able to like enjoy and then get up the next day and do shows. Um, like in the instances where there's a gala and like opening night gala and you're performing, then you have like a gala party with donors and you have to sit at a table with donors and a lot of dancers aren't comfortable with that. And then they drink because of that. And then they have to get up and do two shows the next day. Um, 
it's just like ingrained in the culture. Um, and dancers are very, 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 very disciplined. And interestingly enough, alcohol becomes a part of dancers discipline. Um, so yeah, I, I want to make sure that I'm not rambling on too much here at the end, because I've, I've gotten all the points out that I wanted to, and I wanted to share a lot of a lot of my history with you guys, but also share some of my experiences watching other people in the dance world. Um, there, there are people in the dance world that I know that don't drink that are completely completely don't drink and never have um or those that uh go to celebrate and every once in a while they drink but it is very common uh what i'm talking about in my career um was more common than people that did did it less frequently um my goal here is not to deter parents and families from putting their kids into this amazing amazing career it's just all to offer one side of our career that isn't talked about. I, I remember reading, uh, I think it was when the Chase Finley situation went down at New York City Ballet and one of the articles or one of the uh, news uh, features was like in the alcohol, alcohol, what was it? Like the alcoholic culture of ballet companies. Um, and yeah, at times it does feel like that is there, but it's it's not the way that it is fully, but there there is a culture with alcohol in it. And it's it's very much around coping with stress and celebration and trying to unwind after performances and socializing for work and then being uncomfortable socializing outside of work. There, there's so many reasons that alcohol is a major part of dance careers. And if we talk about it and if we get mental health support for those dancers that need it, um, it can continue to be used as a tool for celebration and enjoyment and not something that can get in the way of dancers' careers or health. Um, I, yeah, I think that's all I have to say about it. If you know anybody that is struggling with alcohol um, as an artist, uh, I can probably find some resources if you reach out to me. I, I, I know that there's always the Actors Fund uh, slash dancers resource here in New York City. That's really great. A great place that you can get counseling, um, career counseling, and they have support groups that you can join. I think they even have a there's a place here in New York. I think there's also a, a location in Los Angeles. Um, so you can check that out, theactorsfund.org, I believe. Um, you Google it before. I didn't plan on announcing that in this episode, so I didn't do my research, but I'm closely connected with them. I have great respect for that organization. They're helpful in many different areas beyond that, whether it be taxes or housing or work stress or injury um, or finances. So um, there are places you can reach out to if you are having issues uh, in many areas of your life, but especially if you have an issue have, are having an issue with alcohol as an artist. All righty. Well, I'll tell you how to reach out to me in a second so that you can you can do that. Otherwise, I hope that you are doing so, so well. Winter can sometimes feel like a long period of time, so I hope that this podcast helps give you a little bit of push through your weeks and your weekends or whenever you're listening to it. Alrighty. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycarollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique, or choreography, or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. 
And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. You can find that at premierdancenetwork.com. If you want to connect with me to see what I, where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Carolus, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blogs. I have Life of a Freelance Dancer, which can be found at lifeofafreelancedancer.blogspot.com, and I wrote on there for five years about working as a freelance artist and an independent contractor. I also have Dancing Offstage, which can be found at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com, and on there I talk about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have a YouTube channel if you want to check out my choreography, and you can find that by going to youtube.com, going to the search bar, and typing in my first initial B and my last name, Corollas. I think that covers about everything for this week. Thanks for listening in to Pot of Chats. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.